What can an employer do when one of their directors commits misconduct and how is it different to normal employees? This is Stuff Employers Should Know. Welcome to Stuff Employers Should Know, proudly brought to you by LabourNet, management's ultimate HR solution. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Barry Gordon-Davis. Yes, like it, Ismail is over there doing his thing. And we are now joined by our first official friend of the show and guest for a third time, attorney Samantha Walker. And this is Stuff Employers Should Know. Yes, we did say three times and you then a, a friend of the show, right? Yep, definitely. So congratulations, Sam. And welcome back. Happy to have you. Thank you. It's great to be back. And if you have not listened to one of Sam's podcasts, she is the national manager of Poppy and Pyre, which, as I said to her earlier now, if we had to write that all out, would be the longest title ever. That's why we have these, uh, what's it, four-letter acronyms? Poppy and Pyre. That's it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, you know, and this is one of those ones where Sam actually reached out to us and said, you know, I've really got a good topic. It's a burning issue that uh, she gets a lot of calls about and and really wants to put it out there. So today we're going to be talking about um, directors, shareholders, uh, and normal employees and the relationship between the three of them and what happens when those relationships, uh, I don't know, go wrong or, and also where there's um, issues with regards to the normal contractual and uh, policy and uh, disciplinary codes and where employees spill over into directors and directors spill over into shareholders and the like. So, yeah, interesting. It's very interesting. And it's something I get questions on almost daily. That's why I actually reached out. I thought it should be something everyone should know. Um, And it's actually not funny enough. So I think it's a good show to put out there. Let's start with the different role players in today's episode. So we have directors. Now that's not, we know that people nowadays have very creative titles and that's not just somebody being called the director of whatever. In terms of what we're referring to when we say a director, we mean... So a director is someone who is a director in terms of the Companies Act. So there's actually requirements. Um, There's certain things that, for example, you couldn't have been sequestrated. Otherwise, you're ineligible to be a director. So you have to meet the criteria in the Companies Act. And then we have to register you as a director on CIPC. That's most importantly, uh, as you said, there's lots of creative titles out there, but unless you're officially a director in terms of the Companies Act, have been appointed correctly in terms of that act and are registered, you're just not a director. And then second, shareholders. So a shareholder is an owner of the company. This is always done in a percentage basis. You know, you may own 50%, 80%, 100%, maybe 3%. It doesn't matter. But a share. Holder is an owner of the company in proportion to the shares they hold. So if I'm a 50% shareholder, well, then I own half of the business. So it's very, very different than being a director. And shareholders don't always have to be directors. Many shareholders sit on the sidelines just as the owners for the profit that maybe they put money in to start the business. So they just sit on the side and collect their dividends necessarily. But most cases, a shareholder will be a director as well. Okay, and then the last of the role players, employees. So employees are the easiest ones. They are literally employed by you. There's some form of employment contract and obviously they're there to deliver a service or a job to you and you pay them for that. So that's probably the simplest one of all three. So for the purposes of today's discussion, uh, we know that you can be all or you could be uh, either or you can be one 
of them and that's where the conflict comes in so what do we do with an employee that's also a director or an employee that's also a director and a shareholder specifically when it comes to the normal um, course of business uh, in relation to let's say misconduct let's 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 call it what it is so um to cut straight to the chase uh, where there's more than one director involved and one of those directors then finds uh well one of the directors finds that another director has committed a misconduct in terms of, let's say, their employment as an employee as well as the, as the company, where do they then get that, um, uh, where's that hierarchy or where does it sit that they would then have that subordinate authority to then take disciplinary action? So, yes, it, it gets very complicated, particularly in practice. It's very clean and easy on paper, but the moment you put it in practice, um, there tends to be an overlap of these different functions and role players. So if a director, for example, has committed some form of misconduct, we need a shareholder's resolution to discipline them. And then they will be disciplined as an employee and a director. However, that is dependent on how many directors we have. So if we have less than um, three directors, we have to follow a different route. If we have more than that, it's a different route. So general rule, you always want a shareholder's uh, resolution to actually discipline them, and then you would follow that disciplinary process. However, the complications really come in is what happens now. There's two directors. They're both shareholders, 50% each. You're never going to get a shareholder's resolution because both have to vote. And both of them are the shareholders. And, and let's say they're the only shareholders. Exactly. And are you going to vote for yourself to be disciplined? So in that case, we take it through the company's tribunal. Um, that's their purpose. And then we'll look to have them there. If you are going to remove a director, again, we need a shareholder's resolution to do that. But you actually need to provide the director with notice that you're actually calling for their removal. And then they should be given an opportunity to make representations on that. So this is where it gets a little bit sticky. So we shareholders, we vote, we're going to remove this director. We actually have to tell them when this decision is going to be taken and allow them to tell us why they shouldn't be removed as a director. So that is a little bit tricky. Is the shareholders' resolution the same approach that would need to be followed for the removal of a director or, the, um, or action against a director for other um, uh, aspects of their employment, such as, let's say, capacity issues? So the Companies Act, in order to remove them as a director in terms of the Companies Act, you need a shareholders' resolution, always. You can, however, also approach a court and ask them to declare this individual a delinquent director. That's obviously moved by court application. You would discuss the merits with your attorneys, um, which is at an added cost to you because now you are going to court. However, if this individual is declared a delinquent director, they cannot be a director of any company anymore for a period of five years. So that is quite a harsh route to take. I have seen it taken. I personally have moved an application in the high court for a client to get someone declared a delinquent director. The burden is high on you because you obviously have to prove something massively has gone wrong or, or happened that should warrant them being declared a delinquent. Um, when we got it right, that obviously affected that individual's life massively and they were also director of other companies. So there are those harsh consequences, but it comes with the cost of actually going to court. The easiest way you call a shareholders meeting, you pass the resolution, you give them notice, they come and make a representation. And 
in all the times we've done that, I've never actually had a director come and make a representation as to why they shouldn't be removed because it's generally just the next step of an outcome of a disciplinary hearing or something like that. And that's a good point. So where we talk about these um, resolutions through the shareholders, it's obviously quite a subjective aspect uh, that it's passed. Uh, they, they might look at prima facie evidence, not necessarily uh, see it, do it in the form of a hearing. So we obviously need to understand that despite the fact that we've got a resolution by the shareholders, there still has to be fair process and procedure followed with the director slash employee. 100% because that director is an employee. So you you know you can't just dismiss someone on the spot. There needs to be a fair process. We need to have a disciplinary hearing, follow that entire uh, disciplinary process, and then we remove them as a director as well. It would be very pointless to remove them as a director and then not dismiss them or follow a disciplinary process as an employee because you are going to get in trouble at the CCMA. And then if you just follow the disciplinary route and not get a shareholder's resolution, then we end up in court fighting it. So you must make sure that these two happen. Both uh, They don't have to necessarily happen simultaneously, but it is best to actually start the process. Um, once the individual has been dismissed on a recommendation, then you call for a representation as to them being officially removed in terms of the Companies Act. And then very importantly, you must file your paperwork with the CRPC to have them removed as a director. Otherwise, they will still be as listed as a director on CRPC. Now, uh, something quite pertinent that you spoke about was that, uh, you know, you've you got to do two processes. So there's not this automatic, if a director is dismissed as an employee, that it automatically nullifies his directorship. That doesn't happen automatically. That's two separate processes that would then have to happen. Correct. Because the one is happening in terms of our Labor Relations Act as an employee and the other one's happening in terms of the Company Act as a director aspect. That's why I was saying this really gets tricky in practice because you have all three of these, these aspects at play. And if they're a shareholder, things get even more complicated then. And let's talk about shareholders. Yes, shareholders that are employees. They then uh, are, are terminated as an employee. What happens with their shares? They keep them. Yeah. So there's no way for you to force a director to get rid of his shares. Um, this is very much governed by shareholders agreements. I'm very pro shareholders agreement because otherwise they keep these shares. A nice provision to put in your shareholders agreement that is if you are dismissed as a director and employee, you immediately make an offer to the other shareholders to buy back your shares because they own it. It's their property. It's like owning a house or a car. So... The only way you can get them out is to buy them out. So a nice way is to have that trigger in the shareholders agreement that automatically once you're dismissed, there's an automatic offer at X, Y, and Z cost. It's generally... Or a, a, fairly, the, a, a yeah. fairly appraised rate. Yeah. You generally put in there that the accountants will come up with the, an offer and then you actually still have to buy them out. So money will have to exchange hands unless, for example, we're going to write off a loan against it or something like that. But there must be a transaction to buy them out of the business and then they are out. So you may very well be stuck in a situation where you dismiss an employee. Um, let's say he was a 20% shareholder. He's still going to hold that 20%. He's still got to be at your shareholders' meetings. He's still got to vote for things. So you can imagine that individual could do some serious damage depending on how much shares they have. And even if they are a minority shareholder, minority shareholders are given rights in terms of the Companies Act. So you can't just bully them or not give them a dividend or something like that. They are still going to be part of your team as a shareholder. So that is why I always advise 
put a shareholders agreement in place so we regulate our relationship. And that's for a number of, of different reasons. Maybe a shareholder dies, then what? It's very good to have that regulated in the agreement. And now going back to directors um, who find themselves uh, having committed misconduct and uh, resolutions passed, they disciplined, and then they are dismissed. They're then removed as a director. They're no longer an employee anymore. But due to the, the what, or put it this way, what the actual causation of um, termination, let's say it was fraudulent activities with a third party, and then the state decides to then uh, prosecute for whatever reason. Are they able to then have the company liable? Um, or uh, would they would they effectively go after that director in their personal capacity or the jurisdictional entity that this person was associated at the time? What's the risk to them? So if there's something criminal like fraudulent activity, the, the state would be able to go after that individual in their personal capacity because they were the ones who committed that fraud. Let's say, though, that he committed fraud and it lost the company money. In some instances, you are able to go after a director in their personal capacity. Now, obviously, there's separation of liability in our private entities, like a PTY Limited. Directors are not liable for the company debts. We all know this. However, if they do something fraudulent or anything of the sort, you can do what is called piercing the corporate veil. And you actually lift that curtain of protection and you go after them in their personal capacity for what they've done in order to hold them accountable because you have one rogue director doing something, the entity as a whole shouldn't be punished. We can go after them in their personal capacity. So it's very important to actually familiarize yourself with your fiduciary duties as listed in the Companies Act so you know what to do when. Otherwise, you could potentially be held um, personally liable for it. So I think the biggest takeaway of today's podcast is, is the fact that um, we know that there are so many, and, and uh, we, we hear our president going through motions and processes to make it simpler for normal individuals to start businesses, to start companies. And I think a lot of people don't really realize what that actually um, entails and the, the liabilities and the responsibilities and duties that are associated with it. Um, I think what we really realize is, is that there's actually thought processes that have to go into these things. It's always very romantic to start a business with somebody but then when you get into the 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 nitty-gritties of it it then slowly starts to become a marriage and you realize that you are in this marriage that has to have rules and regulations so i think using that analogy um, it's always best to then check these things out have these resolutions effectively join up a prenup because that's what it is it's for when things go wrong a shareholder's resolution is a prenup it decides how we we split the kids what happens if i die what's going to happen all of that's covered in a shareholder's agreement if you are going to be directors and shareholders in your company and you're starting something or you're already in business, get a shareholders agreement. You can even put one in place now. That's the one difference from a prenup. You don't have to do it before. We can even <laughs> yes. put it in place Doesn't now. Doesn't have to be pre. No, it can be a post-nuptial agreement. Um, and put it in place to make sure we know what's going to happen. For example, what happens if my shareholder partner, we both 50%, they pass away? The shares are going to go into the state. state. Now his wife owns the shares. Me and his wife don't see eye to eye. That business is going to fall apart. So you put a key man policy in place. I buy back the shares if they die. I run the company. The wife gets paid out. But thank you so much. Friend of the show, Sam. First friend um, of the show. That's it. Um, and, you know, today's topic, very interesting. If you want to get in touch with Sam, 
send us a mail. We'll get you in touch with her. Um, she deals with these things on a day-to-day basis and would be able to assist you in that regard. So as always, drop us a mail at sesk at labornet.com. Uh, hook us up on social media. And uh, yeah, Sam, thanks. Friend of the show, you get to say cheers to everybody. Cheers, everyone. <laughs> to the next episode. From myself and Yas, ciao. Stuff Employers Should Know was proudly brought to you by LabourNet, management's ultimate HR solution. For more episodes from Stuff Employers Should Know, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you play your favorite shows. Case law or statutes referenced in the podcast are current at the time of recording.